everybody and welcome to Google Educator Group New Zealand. Welcome. It's the 23rd of September, 7 p.m. right here in New Zealand. And we're excited to have an amazing gentleman with us. We have Dan Jackson from Australia, a Google Certified Innovator and Publishing Author. Hi, Dan. Hi, Craig. Thank you so much for having me on. Fantastic to have you with us. And as always, we also have Matu Quaid from GEG New Zealand as well, running all the technical side. Kia ora. <laughs> Kia ora. Look, as we do as part of our kaupapa here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, uh, we love to start uh, with a karakia. So I'm going to hand over to Matua Quaid to start us off with a karakia to start the night right. Quaid, over to you. Kia ora, Craig. Me karakia tato. Fakataka te hau ki te uru, fakataka te hau ki te tonga. Kia mā kina kina ki uta, kia mā tara tara ki tai. E hi akiana te atakura, he tio, he huka, he hauhu, tihei. Thank you, Quaid. Really appreciate that. Everybody, welcome. It is great to have you with us. We had over 70 people already pre-register for tonight, so we're delighted that you're here with us. We get the opportunity to spend some time with Dan tonight, sharing with us some of his knowledge, experience, and education, also being a Google certified trainer and innovator, and also the book that he's publishing and what brought him to that. So Dan, it's so fantastic to have you with us. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about your family and where you are in Australia? Yeah, sure. I live in the Blue Mountains of Australia, which is just outside of Sydney. I have a eight-year-old whose name's Charlie, and I have a young daughter who's four, named Frida. And yeah, loving life up here. It's fantastic. And how are you going? Are you guys in lockdown over there? We are at the moment. Yes, everyone's teaching remotely, and um, yeah, lock, stay-at-home orders across Sydney and or the greater of Sydney, which includes the Blue Mountains, unfortunately. <laughs> right. And um, it's great that you are such a Google expert and you've written this book as well, which we'll get to really, really soon, and all the Google tools that you like to share, which help people become really efficient to work less and focus on teaching more, which I think is a wonderful, wonderful premise. Um, I've been reading this book as well called Unusually Excellent, and it's all about leadership and how leaders build teams. And I was thinking of your book, which we'll share a little bit of very, very soon. And this is what it says in Unusually Excellent, that unusually excellent leaders realize that there is a mindset that they can adopt that keeps them focused on the essentials of credibility. Your best, most talented and most valuable followers, your staff, your team, are really volunteers. And because of those very attributes that they offer, because of their very attributes, they are often in considerable demand elsewhere. What does this mean? It means whether you know it or not, these value creators, your best and brightest, your rainmakers, are constantly demand everywhere in the world and they have options. Your competitors would love to have them. This also means that the best of your team won't tolerate sub par leadership because they don't need to. The good news is that they drive a culture of demanding high performance. And I was thinking about your book and I was thinking about this book that I'm reading as well, about why you wrote your book and what led you to that. And I'd love to start with you just sharing a little bit about your Google Educator journey. You know, what got you interested and, and why you jumped on that? Yeah, so my Google Educator journey, I remember the first time I was introduced to Google stuff. I was at a, a teachers association conference in my local area and I think it was maybe Michael Radar from Melbourne who was up presenting and 
I remember at that point in time, the main sale point of it was that it was collaborative. And so it was kind of docs, sheets, slides, and that kind of stuff. Uh, but it wasn't really until around 2017 when I decided to, I mean, we, we had an issue at school, basically. Our PCs constantly would update in the middle of class and our students would lose all their work and the teachers, which were included me, and our principal were all getting quite frustrated by it. So I went off on a mission to see what solutions I could find. And so I went to uh, Edutech, which is you know, the big conference that happens in Sydney uh, in my area. And I spent my time walking through the uh, kind of the showroom, looking at different computers and came across Chromebooks and started asking people questions about Chromebooks. And a lot of the people who were selling it really didn't know much about it when it came to teaching. <laughs> and so I ended up going over to the Google um, you know, uh, table, I guess. So it's not really a table, that was huge. Uh, and the EdTech team were there as well. And so I ended up getting into conversations with them. Mm. And as I was going through my conversations with them, I uh, discovered that Chromebooks were probably a fairly good option for, for what we were after. And so I decided that I needed to test it and to learn a bit more about Google stuff. And I think it was Chris Betcher who was there at the time. Legend. Invited to, yeah. <laughs> invited me to the Google Summit that was like three weeks later. And it was just up in North Sydney. And so I then went to that summit. But in between the Edutech and the, you know, the Google Summit, I got online and I actually completed my level one educator and my level two educator wow. within about a month. <laughs> uh, and so I completed that by the time I actually got to the conference, which was great. I remember at the conference being shown all the great stuff about Chromebooks, you know, being able to lock them and uh, so you know, students can only do a quiz and that kind of stuff, which was great. Uh, and just their simplicity of how they functioned and they just open up and work and you can enroll them to the school and it's easy to manage. You don't even need a tech support guy, and which is fortunate because my school didn't have a tech support guy. I was the tech support guy there for most of the time that it's been open. And um, yeah, so I ended up there. I learned a lot about you know, things like Google Earth and mm. Google Creator and all mm. those great tools. Uh, I learned more about how to use Classroom better. I think we had Holly Clark out at that. Um, right. At that one as well, which is great. She ran like there was this extra bonus day afterwards, which we went to at Google with uh, with her and Lisa Highfield. Actually, it was just a really great uh, time of networking and mm. also just learning more. And so through that, I then got to the point where I thought I should apply to be a trainer because my school needs to be trained in it. So I may as well uh, do the trainer course and apply for that. Uh, I then got notified that I'd achieved that while I was presenting on uh, Fliply. I was presenting on Edpuzzle and how to use Edpuzzle in Flip Learning. I was presenting on that down in Canberra when I got told I was a Google trainer, which was fantastic. But then I was like, why do these guys, they've got this extra one that's an innovator and I hadn't seen it anywhere. And so I started asking someone about it and they said, oh, it's completely different. It's not, it's not so much about using the tech. It's actually about uh, being innovative and solving solu problems and coming up with solutions to things that exist inside education. And so, yeah, so after a conversation with them, I found out that there was one coming up in Sydney in 2019 and I applied to that and loved it. Really enjoyed my few days at Google in Sydney, meeting lots of educators from around the world. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic time. And I can even see some of them uh, popping up on the screen here that, I spent with uh, plenty of time with there, so it was really good. 
It's awesome the community that we get to be part of when you're part of the Google Trainer, Google Innovator, Google Educator groups, building those relationships. And you often see or hear, like you've just mentioned, some people that I've seen live or they've supported me when I've had a problem when I've been in Indonesia or previously here in New Zealand. And these people have been around for quite some time and they've built up this credibility and innovation and really sewn into and invested into the educational community. And it's great to be part of a community like that. And I do want to just really highlight, we are going to get to talking about your book and why you wrote it, of course, but we actually had, um, you've generously offered to give away two copies of your book, and one of them has already been um, allocated to the very first person who registered for tonight, and would you like to announce who that is, Dan? Yeah, definitely. So congratulations to Donna Golightly. I'm very That's excited it? to be able to send my book out to Fantastic. you as soon, as, as soon as I get one in my hands, I'll send one to you. <laughs> And the launch date is when? You were just telling us earlier this evening. Yeah, so I'm hoping it, the launch date currently is, is the 30th of November. That's, that's the day it should be live and available on Amazon. Awesome. And then just towards the end of the show as well, um, Quade's going to come back on. He's got the Wheel of Fortune that we're all familiar with in New Zealand and in Australia. And that'll spin with everyone who's made a comment and said where you're from in the chat, whether you're on Facebook or whether you're on YouTube. They'll be put into the Wheel of Fortune and we'll give it a spin so that um, Dan can give away another copy of his book. So thank you, Dan, for being willing to do that. No so that's that's really awesome that you um, jumped on the Google Innovator journey and, and becoming a trainer, first of all, as well. What are some of those Google tools that you found are really highly engaging for learners? Yeah, look, I think a lot of the Google benefit comes from their simplicity, which I'll talk a bit more about later, I think. But uh, even just the simple fact that you, know, you can get kids all jumping onto one doc and sharing it and doing group work quite easily and particularly at this point in time, you know, with uh, COVID happening and people being in lockdown, I think if you're not using tools like Google where you can get the kids to still do their group work and you can watch it without having to have them on screens the whole time, yeah, that's that's an amazing benefit, I think, to what Google has. But uh, students really, I mean, I remember when I was rolling this out across my school uh, back in 2017-ish that we were rolling this out, and I surveyed the students at multiple times throughout that process just to check that this really was the right decision mm -hmm. we were making. And they all, it was just overwhelmingly positive. They all were loving the fact that, you know, it automatically saves, they can share stuff. They were loving uh, the simplicity of using Google Classroom as well. We used to use a different uh, system and it would take us as a teacher a long time to post stuff. And then the kids would take them a long time to download things and save them as. And then, you know, it was just constant, yeah, 10 steps to doing something whereas in google it's you know it's two steps max at any one point really and i think that's been really fantastic i also was big at flipping at the time and so i used to use edpuzzle a lot with my flipping and edpuzzle if people don't know what that is it's basically you can take a video that you've made and you can insert questions at random point at any point you like throughout the video and so i'd have my students watch it and answer questions before they arrived in my class i would have a look at their answers and go well I know who struggled to learn it, who didn't bother watching it, all that kind of stuff before I even got to my lesson with them. And that just really meant that the lessons were more engaging and really uh, could reach the students where they're at. And it gave me more time in my classroom to have fun, really, uh, to do the engaging activities in your classroom. 
Yeah, and I love there's a point that you made there about constantly asking the students and checking in with them to see if this decision you're making with your team, obviously, was the right decision. And that's a really good point to remember that the Google tools actually give us that opportunity to, without a lot of hassle, you know, using Google Forms and Google Sheets to actually keep reaching out to students and keep analyzing the data and seeing yeah. how those charts that automatically we can embed in there actually show us what's happening and the preferences of the students. It's really quite a powerful, powerful way to do it. You know, um, you've mentioned in your book about how we're not, I thank you for letting me have a, a full copy of the book to read. I feel really special that I was able to do that. You know, often we respond to things in ways and to challenges that we have in teaching um, that can be positive or they can be negative, you know, and the way that we respond or more rather we react to these situations. And I know that that response is actually important to you. And, you know, I've had the privilege of reading your book and I see that, you know, that means something really valuable to you. And you've emphasized that in your book about responding rather than reacting. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, I think it's actually one of the first bits in my book uh, is all about this idea of being uh, response-able, uh, just kind of breaking mm. down the whole idea of being responsible. And basically the idea is that we're not, rather than being reactive, you want to be responsible. And so it's identifying the fact that between any external stimulus and what we do, we actually have a choice to make about how we respond. Often we don't think about those choices. They kind of, they get automated in us over time and you know, how we've been brought up and our backgrounds. But we have these automated systems that we sometimes need to just stop and analyze and go, actually, this is a choice I'm making and I'm choosing you know, to give my time to this, even though you know, my principal may have asked for it or may have said that they need me to do that. Do they, I haven't challenged that in any way. I've just, you've just automatically responded with a yes, whereas you're actually able to respond differently to in any context. And you know, we try and teach our students that. I'd spend a lot of time with my eight-year-old son trying to teach him you know, that, no matter what his sister does, it's his choice how he responds to that. You know, if she hits him, if he hits her back, that's still his choice to do that. He didn't make him do that. You know, he, I think uh, kids like to say, he made me do it. <laughs> and I think we get to this point as educators and I, so I, I can still hear similar language through education of people who go, well, I don't have a choice. You know, I have to do this. Um, mm. But with anything, there is a choice and sometimes you making a choice between two bad things, but you still have some kind of choice with that. Yeah. You were very honest in the book, actually, and you talk about soldiering on but feeling burned out, getting extra tasks added to you, particularly in administration and, you know, being hired for hired for your strengths and your talents and abilities and then get tasks of, tasked with all this administration stuff. So what are some of the googly tools that you've used to work less on the admin side and to teach more as you talk about in the book yeah so in terms of i mean using google to start with is, i think is a, almost a must for for teachers because you know as i say with that other system our other learning management system that we were using it would take me and another teacher you know a whole day to set up a mini course for our students which would take us half an hour in google uh, in google classroom so that kind of switch made a big difference for us but just having basic systems. So I, I love to use templates. So Gmail has the ability to create templates for emails. I found myself constantly replying to students or parents with very similar emails. You know, maybe it was because I was organizing an excursion and everyone's like, oh, what were the details again? And so I just had this 
automatic. I didn't have to rewrite that email. I just you know, entered the template, said, hi, Donna, here it is, and off went the email. And those kinds of things, so templates, really simple, and you know, Google have that ability to create you know, templates in docs, templates in slides, templates in sheets, and to utilize that. And I actually have mine half filled in already. So if it's ever a form that requires my name or address or needs any kind of details about what classes I have, that's already filled in for me when I open that document. So that's really easy to just do small adjustments to. But mm-hmm. then I also discover other applications, you know, things like Calendly, which are, is a fantastic tool. I mean, Google Calendar does a similar thing. So Calendar basically, I can send you a link and you click that link and then you look at your diary and you can see whenever I'm free in my diary, you click the spot and that's when you book in and it saves me going, you know, are you available at three o'clock? No, Daniel, I'm not. How about six o'clock? Well, no. How about Wednesday at seven o'clock? <laughs> yeah, and we have all these emails that go back and forth to organize an appointment. Uh, and you know, it happens the same even with parent, as we do parent interviews and that kind of stuff. Now, I was at a brand new school when I first got into Google. And so using stuff like Calendly and setting that kind of stuff up saved us paying for other software that, I meant we were saving time, but also you're still using something that was very easy to use for mm. um, for its point in making those kind of appointments. I love using Google Forms for quizzes that self-mark themselves, particularly if I'm doing a really short Google, uh, a short quiz for formative assessment or something. I'll just go, I'll design my question nicely so that it tells me if a student has misunderstandings. So uh, mm. for those of you who are interested in what that means, that means that I don't ask a quick, the question of uh, what is two plus two because if a student does two times two, they're going to get the same answer and it doesn't tell me that they got it wrong. Whereas if I do something like four times four, if I do four plus four, I'll have eight as one of the answers. I'll have 16 as one of the answers. I'll have zero in case they minus it and I'll have one in case they divide it. And so I'm actually checking what mistakes they're making through their, by understanding what their thought process is as well. I think that um, app that you've mentioned, Calendarly, and the way that it integrates with Google Calendar is so simple. And for example, I know we we did this um, when I was hiring part of our team for the school is I actually just set up Calendarly, just signed on with my Google account and automatically people could choose the time that suited them that I had made available. Any of those time slots that fitted them and automatically it booked them into my calendar and no one else could book that slot. And because in the calendar, it's a Google calendar, Google Meet is already in there. So in terms of being in lockdown or COVID restrictions, the meet is already there. So it just saves so much time, particularly in the olden days of getting on the phone or emailing backwards and forwards. Does Tuesday at three work for you? No. Okay, what about this one and what about that one? It's such a hassle. Yeah, it definitely was. Another tool I really love to use too is uh, it's an add-on for sheets. It's called Autocrat and it's essentially a mail merge system. And I didn't learn how to use mail merge until I actually started using Google and I love the fact that I can actually have my students, they'll fill in a Google form, which automatically will populate the sheet for me. But then I can set up an autocrat mail merge so that when they're filled in the sheet, they will either, like I can send them an email with a PDF that's of stuff that filled, that's filled in, or I can have it automatically send them the next step of their learning. So if they're, for example, submitting uh, some work to me that they've finished that day and they still have 20 minutes left, the autocrat system will automatically send them an email that says, oh, here's the next thing for you to do in the next 20 minutes while you're waiting for mm. your class to end, you go deeper here or I want you to do this activity. And it's fantastic. It can be as simple as 
emailing certificates and stuff. It can, you know, at school, you can use it for sending invoices. <laughs> there's, there's actually a lot that mail merging does. And by having that automated, it saves me a lot of time because it automatically will send the email and attach things to it. And I can make it specific depending on what the answer is that comes in as well. So I can specifically mm. say, well, you got this answer wrong in the quiz. And so here's an automated email that actually gives you a bit of content to learn that relates to what you got wrong with. It's great. It can take a little while to set up if you're going to do 600 things in a quiz, but <laughs> it's still really good because it's just that automated system just saves you a lot of time. I love that premise of automation and saving us time. That's really good. And I love that your book is not just about here's a tool, here's an app we should use, but actually you really emphasize mindset. And um, let me just read a little bit out of your book, if that's okay, because I think you've got so many pearls of wisdom in there. Um, let me just read this because readers are leaders are readers. And I've heard you say that. So leaders are readers. This is what you said then. After I resigned, to support my wife, the next school I began working at was Cedar College, S-E-D-A College in New South Wales, Australia. Here I chose to become more response-able. I began to focus more on what I could do to save time and be more effective in my classroom. So I caught the train to work and began to get work done on my commute to and from school. This immediately meant that I was no longer wasting time driving. Genius. Simple but genius, right? No longer wasting time driving, but instead I was getting all of my schoolwork done outside of the home and could spend more time at home with my wife and children. There was no detentions either. I didn't give them out and I didn't have to spend my lunchtime supervising students who were annoyed and frustrated. Instead, I was developing my relationship with these students so that I had better rapport with each person in a more effective classroom and I could spend more of my lunchtimes out playing with the students or talking with them in my classroom about life and life. And I stopped blaming others for my current dilemmas and instead focused on what I could do to help myself. Wow. Fantastic. What sort of change did that make for you? Oh, look, it made a huge change for me. My previous school before that was the one where I got very burnt out at. I'd been given so many extra tasks. Like I started off just being hired to be a part-time PDH teacher. And then in my interview, it became a full-time teacher. And then when it came to actually my first day meeting staff, I had an extra two roles. I was a year advisor and I was also the sports carnival coordinator. And they just constantly were adding to my role, not necessarily asking me at all. Some Sometimes they did, but mostly they didn't. And so I just constantly was receiving this that, that end and burning out and I was having to drive to school. I, well, I thought I had to drive to school <laughs> because it wasn't quite near a train station. It was a bit too far away. Uh, and so I would drive, I would get to school super early to try and get my work done before anyone else got there. Um, and I was in a staff room that was very distracting uh, for sure at that school. And so when I went to this new school, it was a brand new school that was, it was founded the year that I, that I started there. I was one of the founding teachers there. And so I very purposely set stuff up. My principal was very supportive as well of having uh, you know, teachers who actually could look after their families and all that kind of stuff as well outside of school. And yeah, so our school was in the city. So it was actually further away from me than my previous school. But by choosing to catch the train rather than drive, driving, I would have been sitting in traffic for about an hour and a half. Uh, and maybe I could listen to podcasts or something, but it's not the same. Instead, I spent an hour mm. and 15 minutes doing what I call deep work uh, on that train. Mm. I 
plugged my earphones in so that you know, there, there weren't any distractions. People don't normally talk to you on the train. Uh, and I would just pull my laptop out, sit there on the train, do an hour and 15 minutes work on the way into school. And then I would walk. It was about a 10-minute walk from the station to school, which was lovely. Kind of refreshed my brain before we got started. And then throughout my day, you know, I, per- we, I mean, the, the school purposely didn't like detention either. And detention is different to having kids stay. Like if a kid doesn't get work done and stuff that's really important, then having them stay back and do work is not quite the same as a detention. Detention is generally having kids sit there silently doing nothing and just being mm. supervised. It's a punishment rather than a consequence, if that makes a bit of mm. sense. And so I removed that, spent a lot more time then with my lunch times being purposeful with my students that I had, I would go and uh, kick soccer balls around with them and stuff at lunch times. And you know, other times they would, I'd have a group hanging out in the classroom. And so I would just chat to them while I ate my, ate my lunch. And then I'd work again on the way home, which meant that I got home actually at quarter past four, having done two hours or two and a half hours of work outside of my classroom that was undistracted. Like uh, I mm. talk about being indistractable in the book too, but you know, it was deep work. It was focused. And when you're focused for a quality amount of time, you actually get so much more work done than if I stayed back in a staff room and I, you know, I would have been at probably at least two to three hours in the staff room to get that kind of, to get one hour of that work done because mm. teachers interrupt you, phone calls happen, someone knocks at the door, uh, someone else wants to ask you about a program or something or uh, there's a parent who calls. But when I was on that train, that none of that was interrupting me and I could really focus, get that work done. And it meant that when I arrived home at quarter past four, I would walk in the door having you know, I'd walk to the train station and back to. So I still had that kind of check where I could clear my brain before I entered mm-hmm. the door and go, you know, I'm gonna, about to go and spend time with my kids. I can't come in with whatever difficulties have happened from work and really hit into you know, being able to be present with my, my kids. I would get in there, start playing with them. My wife then had you know, no kids on her while she was trying to make dinner and that kind of stuff. And I think it really made a huge difference to us. And it was very rare for me to then even do work at nighttime. It would only really be during those major, you know, when it was report time or something that you might then, it might creep in again at night. But generally I could manage to get it all done in that hour, hour and 15 minutes on that train ride. It was, fair, it was such a good change. <laughs> it's kind of a foreign language really, isn't it? Talking to teachers saying, I don't do work when I arrive home. No marking, yeah. no planning. So being able to do that deep work, you were able to be on a train where often you can reduce the distractions. But for someone who has to be in the staff room or there's a busy lot of activity and they have to drive, what are some of those other ways that you mentioned in the book or that you can share with us about reducing distraction? Yeah, sure. Our schools are definitely not designed to get deep work done. And most teachers I know are in a staff room where there's at least three or four. Sometimes I was in one that had 20 other teachers in it. And they're really not conducive for you being focused to get work done. And you, you know it yourself when you're there. If you're in a staff room trying to get you know, some proper marking and feedback done for your students that you actually have to read essays or anything like that, you can't do it if people are, in, are distracting you. If someone comes over and starts asking you questions about your personal life or just about anything that's happening at the school, it, it takes you a lot longer. And so I actually encourage teachers to to go and find a spot that's not surrounded by other people. So sometimes that can be a, like you, if you might have a classroom or a classroom to somewhere that is generally quite quiet. 
Uh, you might go to do a library and find a study room that your school might provide for students. You might just go and take one of those, uh, particularly after school or before school when there's no one else. I used to arrive at school and purposely go to my classroom because I knew no one was going to come down there and distract me in the morning. Whereas if I stayed mm. in my staff room, yeah, you, it's, social etiquette means everyone says hello to you as they walk in the door. Uh, everyone's having their breakfast or you know, people are grinding their coffee or there's yeah. all that <laughs> basic stuff that happens in the mornings. And you can actually start your day a lot more focused if you go somewhere else where there's no distractions. Uh, and there's other systems as well. Like you can put a big sign up on your desk that just says, you know, do not disturb and put some big uh, noise cancelling earphones on to, so that you're not distracted by what's going on in the background, eavesdropping on someone else's conversation that you can actually just be present and focus on what you're trying to get done. And I think that makes such a difference. The ability to focus changes how much work you get done dramatically. There's actually really good research out that shows that if you have your phone even and your phone beeps, even if you don't check your phone, just the fact that it beeped and it distracted you for that moment and then you start thinking about, oh, what is it? Who could it be, et cetera? And then, oh, no, I'm just going to keep working. It actually has a half an hour impact on the level at which you were working to get back like to get back to that focus state where you're kind of in that in sport we talk about as the zone you know mm. when you're in the zone you're really you're focused things aren't distracting you and uh, there's another guy that talks about it as flow in your work mm. and so having that flow or that you know being in the zone being any kind of small distraction from that actually has a larger impact than we think it does as we go on there's a really good question just in the chat now from our first book winner, actually. <laughs> question for Dan. How do you suggest balancing deep work with building relationships with colleagues? And I was wondering about that too. Yeah, look, I think the difference here, so building relationships with co colleagues is very important. And I think as teachers, we need to do that. But I think that we can actually find, so I talk in the book a bit about scheduling your time. And what I encourage teachers to do is, and what I used to do, is I would schedule my deep work, but I would also make sure I scheduled in time. Like I would go into the staff room and have lunch uh, during lunchtime and I would hang out with the teachers and chat with them at that point. But if I had to get deep work done, <clears throat> it was not the time for me to go and be building my relationships while I was trying to get, get a particular task done. And so basically segregating the two things so that you know, your social aspect of teaching is there, but also your deep work and don't, don't blend them together because it just means you, your time for your work just really goes out that blows out the window. So if you balance it by saying, do you know what, during recess, during lunch, and you might pick another period where, you know, two of your friends are off and you go, right, during those times, I'm actually going to in, invest in relationships. It's the same with your students. You can't, you can't just go in and teach. You have to, invest in those relationships with your students particularly if you have them uh, long term or you have them all the time you know, those relationships make a huge difference for what you're doing for your effectiveness in your teaching but also you know, with your colleagues uh, you can be a lot better colleague if you're working with other other members that you're actually uh, positively relating to and not always you know, on business when you're relating to them if that makes 
Because no one's going to know. No one's going to know that you've scheduled an okay between 11.30 and 12.15. I'm going to have my lunch time and I'm going to schedule in connection time, right? And so they're not going to know he's walking up to give me a scheduled connection time. No one's actually (laughs) going to know that. And because you've been able to focus and do your deep work at the time that you scheduled, you can actually be fully present. You can Mm. be fully present with the colleagues. Remember that their mum was sick and you can ask about that and build that relationship. And your brain is actually freed up to be fully yeah. present, like you were and are with your wife and your kids. Yeah. And the other aspect of that too is that when we normally want to go and be with our other friends outside of work, we would normally actually schedule a day. You know, we would, we would go, right. oh, let's go out for coffee for you know, an hour and a half or whatever, and you'll go out for coffee. And we can do similar things with our colleagues and just go, well, let's schedule it some time. You know, if they want to interrupt you in the middle of something just to chat, you go, hey, I would love to chat about that. Uh, I'm in the middle of this, but when I'm finished this, which will be about 10.30 or whatever, let's sit down and have coffee and chat about that. Wow. I think most teachers know, understand that you've got work to do. <laughs> we, all, we all understand the workload. And so they would normally respond very positively to that and go, that, that's great. I look forward to seeing you at that time. And then yeah, be true to your word. Keep that even if you're not quite finished. You, know, you, you can, by having a proper break and coming back, that can also be beneficial anyway to your, to your deep work. I wanted to ask about the layout of the book because you've you've really focused on mindset and strategies and why you chose to do things in a different way so that you could like automate the administration stuff so you could be more fully present with the kids and with family. But I can see when I look at the book at the end of the chapter, there's an there's an action review. You know, what do we learn? What are we going to do? And throughout the chapters, there's there's bullet point lists, there's numbered lists, there's tables, there's graphics, there's things that are organized in a certain way. Now, why did you choose to lay it out in such a way like that? Yeah, I think I, mean, I was writing a book that's about saving time and you know and having time to live a quality life as well as being effective as a teacher because I don't want you know, teachers often are very passionate about what they're doing and they want to do that very well and they often feel like and we have a culture that um, perpetuates this where if you're not working your guts out then you mustn't care as much as other people and possibly you, you, mm. you could be giving more but in actual fact yeah. if you are constantly in that you're going to burn yourself out you need to have a balance uh, with your caring for yourself so that you can actually care better and work better and more effectively. Uh, and so I think part of what's going on for teachers is you know, we need to address a, a mind shift for teachers and a, a cultural, there's a, a lot of cultural stuff for us where you know, the culture around our society will tell us that we should just be working really hard because it's for the kids. You know, it's all about, you know, you've got to do everything for the kids. What wouldn't you do for your students? Uh, mm-hmm. And I think most teachers would, would give up a lot for their students, uh, but I don't think we should be giving up our families and our our children and there are some things that really we should not be giving up because in the end we are still an educator like we 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 teach we see us those students if you're if you have them for year three for example you you have them for one year and then you'll see those kids in the playground and then they'll graduate and go to high school and you're not going to actually like you shouldn't be missing out on your children and the 18 years or 20 years that they're going to live mm. in your house mm. to be dedicating into this one opportunity because these students will have multiple teachers. There's lots of other things impacting their learning and where they're going mm. to end up in life. We are not the be all and end all of what, of where they're going to get. Uh, so I think shifting that mindset and actually having teachers realize that, you know, 
we are valuable enough that we should actually prioritize ourselves is super mm. important. Uh, and that's understanding that by looking after yourself, you're actually going to be more effective in your classrooms with your students and even in your admin work and everything else that you do. If, if you are worn out, you know, there's the example of the, the, um, the guy who's cutting down a tree and he's been cutting down this tree for ages with his saw and the saw gets blunt because he's been cutting it down for so long. And a guy comes along and goes, oh, what are you doing? I'm cutting down a tree. Uh, but it's, you know, it's so hard because the saw's blunt. And the guy, well, why don't you stop and sharpen your saw? Because, well, I don't have time. I've got to cut down this tree. And we all know that if he stops and sharpens the saw, he'll cut down that tree a lot faster with less effort. And that's the same for us. If we stop and look after ourselves and refresh ourselves, we are way more mm. effective when we then get back into our, our roles in teaching. Love it. And Dan, I, I love that when I when I read through your book, I got that that premise of what else do I want to do with my life? You know, how else do I really want to spend my time? And I really got that. And it's really strong with the mindset that you show from your own personal experiences. I'm just going to get Quaid to run along the bottom of the screen, the link where people can get a free chapter of your book that you've already made available. And what is the, when is it available again? So the book should be coming out on the 30th of November. And yeah, if you head to teacherspd.net slash work less, you'll land on a page and you can get uh, a free chapter of the book that's ready to go for you. You can start to apply that. It's actually one of the more key chapters, I think, in the book, particularly when it comes to working out what really matters for us and what we can, mm. what we can do less of and what we can do more of uh, and awesome. balancing that whole aspect of life. It's, it's a good chapter. Really encourage everyone to do that. Just just jump on that link and grab it tonight and also share the link with your staff, your colleagues and your friends. Because once I read that chapter, I reached out to Dan straight away and knew that it would be really great to have a real teacher who's a Google expert actually share why and how we, he's done this so we can understand not only the tools, but actually the mindset behind it. So what we might do, Dan, if it's okay with you, we'll bring yeah. on Martua Quaid, who has the wheel of fortune with a lot of people that have been on the on the call with us tonight. And uh, then we can choose someone to win that second copy. You ready, Martu Quaid? You know, unmute yourself, Martu Quaid, and feel free to drop um, Dan and I off the screen if you want to share the wheel as well. Oh, I shall. Oh, just us, Fano, and I'll take off our background so there's no funny business. So, our awesome viewers in the chat, I've been dropping your names in if you've. Well, it's an order, obviously, that I don't think it's going to have an effect unless it's rigged. No, hopefully not. So in about five seconds, I'm going to count down from five and Te Māori, and then we're going to learn who are magic winners. We've got people from Panama Road School. We've got another Panama Road School. I think you can tell I'm biased towards Panama Road School, but I have nothing to do on this. So without further ado, rima, fa, toru, rua, tahi, kore, the winner of... Dan's lovely, lovely book is Stephanie. Awesome. Good work, Stephanie. Fantastic. Yeah, congratulations, Stephanie. That's brilliant. Stephanie, if you would like to um, just reach out to us, we're, I'll reach out to you if you've already registered for tonight. I hope you have. We'll find you in the list. And Stephanie, if you didn't register for tonight, um, what we might do is, Dan, can you just, Quade, you can actually put the socials up again. 
pop up the socials again for Dan and then they can reach out and we'll we will triangulate to make sure that it's the right person as well okay so if you haven't registered reach out to Dan and uh, we'll follow up with you as well just to make sure and do our Sherlock Holmes stuff but Dan Thank you so very, very much. And congratulations to Stephanie and to Donna. for uh, They're going to be receiving that copy of the book. Dan, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. And thank you to Matua Quaid. We really appreciate you running the show and behind the scenes and making all the branding and all the technical side work really well. Thank you, Quaid. Of course. And really want to thank everyone from GEG New Zealand and GEG in Australia and the different chapters and also all the people that have joined us from around the world. And we can see people from Nepal, Kathmandu, and in other places around the world around the world that have joined us tonight and joined us over the last few weeks as well that we've had our GEG Thursday nights. So thank you very much, everybody. We will see you again next week. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Quaid. Well, thank yeah. you.